Welcome, friends. You found the Out of the Ordinary podcast. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And this is the place where we believe that the very best stories grow out of the soil of ordinary life. A few of my favorite ordinary things are hitting snooze on the alarm clock, hot coffee with heavy cream, and a new local cafe with great writing spots. Lisa Joe, I love wrapping up in a cozy cardigan, going for long walks on cold afternoons, and warming up around a real fire. All right, friends, here's today's conversation. Get comfy. Here we go. This week, I have a story about a checkerboard floor. And I have a story about running out of mashed potatoes. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, Lisa Joe, while I have no idea what your mashed potato story is about, you and I did choose these stories carefully, and we know what the bigger story today is. So, last week, we talked about um, our childhood homes, and this week, we are (laughs) talking about um, the reality of our homes today, of making a home today, which... For me, Lisa Joe, I have to tell you this week is all about limits. So, okay, yesterday my children had a half day at school. It was teacher conferences or something, and I had agreed to help another mom out. And so her two daughters were coming to spend time with my kids yesterday. So I had a house full of kids. I also had a kitchen. I still have a kitchen that is completely off limits because we're we're like demolishing things and we're replacing the floor and everything that should be in the kitchen has um, filled up the dining room and I will say has spread into other rooms. I don't have any laundry. The laundry machines had to be disconnected in order to do the work in the kitchen, which means every other room is full of dirty clothes that have been piling (laughs) up for two weeks, Lisa Jo. (laughs) No, no. So yesterday with those kids running through the house and I I wanted to be, I just had this urge to be, you know what it was? I thought about my childhood playdates with my best friend, Michelle James. And what I most remember about those playdates is how her mom would care for us and would make little snacks for us and put them out on little trays for us. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember every time I was in her home feeling so cared for. And of course, I felt cared for in my own home. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as if it was like completely unknown to me. But it was special to me because I was a guest. And I felt, I don't know, even as a kid, I felt somehow comforted and honored as a guest. And it was just fun. It was just enjoyable. So I had this idea yesterday that I, I remembered that. And I thought, oh my goodness, I want these children to feel something like that in my home. So I decided I would make chocolate chip cookies, but I had to do it in this kitchen that is a wreck where all of my kitchen supplies, my spoons and measuring things are sitting in the dining room. Anyway, it was such a mess, but I did it, Lisa Joe. Oh, no, actually, let me tell you what I actually did. <laughs> I was so distracted trying to make the cookies that I had my cookbook open and there were two chocolate chip cookie recipes <laughs> back to back. Like one was for um, traditional uh, like crispy chocolate chip cookies. And the one underneath, which I love, are for soft and chewy chocolate <laughs> chip cookies. Okay, so I don't know which you prefer, but I much prefer soft and chewy. So I started making the soft and chewy, and then I got distracted because I had to keep running to the dining room to find the flour or the measuring cup. And so then I would come back and I would lose my place. 
oh, Lisa Joe, halfway through, I realized that I had switched between the two recipes. <laughs> you had a Rachel Green moment from Friends. Remember when yes! she makes the British trifle with beef <laughs> and peas because she has the two recipe pages stuck together? Yes. You actually had that moment happen, but with cookies. I did. And let me tell you, the recipes for uh, thin and crispy cookies and <laughs> soft and chewy cookies are very different. <laughs> very different. So halfway through, I realized what had happened. And I just had no choice but to keep going and make it work and figure it out. Anyway, so I made these cookies. They they tasted good, actually, but they had all melted together into one big <laughs> cookie. Like that, a brownie. Right? They were like a tray of brownie cookies. Right, right. So, so I was very much dealing with the limits of my home yesterday. And it reminded me, Lisa Joe, of something I wrote, I wrote about um, way back in my book, Placemaker, I write about limits. And isn't it funny, you've probably experienced this too, that um, as someone who who writes, who you know records <laughs> my thinking down in, in print, um, my words often come back to, I won't say haunt me, but to remind me of things I do believe and things I do know. And so yesterday when I was really stressed and <laughs> pushed to the edge by the limits of my current situation, I thought about these words from Placemaker, and um, they reminded me of things I do believe to be true. So, it was good to be reminded, but I'll just read them um, here now for our listeners. So, this is from the first chapter of my book, Placemaker. Even the most powerful rivers have limits. In Orange, Texas, our primary limit was time, just three months. Marriage, too, is a limitation of sorts. In faith, we bind our hearts and hands together and curtail our independence in the hope that something new and fruitful will emerge. Maplehurst as well, the destination of all these years Jonathan and I have traveled together, is a place restrained as surely as any river by its banks. Restrained by a split rail fence, we have no money or time to repair. Restrained by odors from neighboring mushroom farms drifting in over the heads of our dinner guests. Restrained by beautiful old wood that is far too liable to rot. But I have come to recognize that life without limits is formless. Without limits, our purpose in each place we plant our feet is more difficult to discern. Our life's current and those good works God prepared in advance for us to do are much harder to find. When we pray for guidance, perhaps God's answer is every way he hymns us in like a river. Who am I to say if even 30 years at Maplehurst will bear as much good fruit as the three months we spent living in Orange, Texas? How can I know what ephemeral flowers bloomed in orange before our time there, or what flowers appeared after? All I know is I was given a glimpse of something beautiful in that place, and I gathered the seeds— I will plant those seeds at Maplehurst, and they will always remind me that limits are a gift. Limits lead us to the water. Like a tree, I will send out my roots toward the stream, grateful for every hard rock and difficult stone that tells me this is the way. Walk in it. Well, those words came back to me yesterday, Lisa Joe, and I had to say a thank you. <laughs> For my broken down kitchen. It's so beautiful. Christy, you know, it's so interesting when you were reading that passage, you're not going to believe this, but 
a similar passage popped into my mind. And so I pulled it up to read it because I was so surprised as I listened to you describing really the natural world around you and the limits it imposes on you when you think Mm -hmm. about home and what you can do in your home, what you're called to do. So I pulled up, this is Job chapter 38, starting at verse four. This is God talking about the limits he actually built into the earth. So the fact that we experience limits is intentional. He says, starting in verse four, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely, you know, who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Isn't that so interesting? That actually wow. limitations are built into the design of the place where we live, like not just the house, but the planet where we live. Mm. And I'm guessing if we knew much about science or math, someone could explain to us that those limitations are essential or the rotations wouldn't work properly and the seasons would be out of whack and we'd have all kinds of crazy things happening if the sun didn't hold all of us in its rotation. Like there's something actually built into this time, this space, this galaxy by a God who clearly understood that as human beings, we needed boundaries in some mm-hmm. way for our for our thriving, for our wholeness. Oh my goodness, that's good. Okay, now I'm going <laughs> to... Change the tone entirely when I tell my checkerboard floor story, but actually that gives me a really good new perspective on it. The way that limits, I don't know, they they give us a path to walk on, right? Otherwise, right. we would just be aimless wandering all the time. I mean, we certainly don't want to live in a place where the planets are aimlessly wandering. Um, even without knowing science, we know that that would be a nightmare. So the reason, Lisa Jo, our kitchen is all torn up is that we've known for years now, we've lived here seven years, and we've watched as the floor tiles in the kitchen, um, more and more of them cracked. And a couple of people came in and looked at them and understood that um, something wasn't right in how the floor had been put together and suspected that over the years, so many layers of floor had been added without any of those layers being removed, that there was probably just some structural things going on that were causing these floor tiles to break. And anyway, we've known for years, like this is a problem that has to be dealt with, but it will be messy and expensive. And we had other work to do. So of course, we we kept putting it off. But this year, we also... <laughs> Had to replace some windows in the kitchen and put up new siding because, you know, one repair leads to another. So we realized that while we were tearing out those things, it made sense to do the floor. And so that meant that I had to choose new floor, new flooring material. But oh my goodness, Lisa Joe, the limits were so stressful. I, I felt that I didn't have the freedom that I wanted to just choose anything. Instead, I was limited by budget, first of all. I kept looking at things and thinking, well, that could be a solution, and then realizing how expensive it would be. So, I was limited by budget. 
I was limited sometimes by material. You know, I, I would do some research and some of the flooring materials were made of things that I felt uncomfortable about or that I knew there might be like off-gassing. And I thought, oh my goodness, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about bringing that into my home. So I felt limited by trying to find some material that was uh, more, you know, health-friendly and earth-friendly. And, and so that was one limit. Um, and then I'm someone who cares about, you know, aesthetics and how things look. So I felt limited by living in an old house where I wanted to put in a floor that fit with an old house, right? That wasn't just Christie's choice and, you know, what I liked, but something that maybe years from now, someone would, would say, oh, yes, that was the right choice for this house. That was the right choice for a 1880 Pennsylvania farmhouse. Oh my goodness. I think Lisa Joe Jonathan got so tired of hearing me talk about, <laughs> what about this? What about that? No, no, that won't work. <laughs> so long story short, I eventually chose something and it felt like a choice I never would have made, except that all these limits were just forcing me, forcing me, forcing me into you know, this narrow, narrower and narrower channel until it seemed like there was just this one option. Um, but the option involves some snap-together linoleum tiles that I decided would fit the air of the house if we did them in a checkerboard pattern, like a diamond pattern, so a, a darker and a lighter. So I chose that. All the time thinking, oh my goodness, I still don't know if that's right. I never, I don't know. I don't know. Questioning it all. Well, over the week, it took a full week for, I think, four strong men to work through all the old layers of floor one by one. There were so many layers of floor. And at one point, I feel like it was the third layer. Jonathan, I was out in the barn working and Jonathan came out and he's like, Christy, you'll never guess what kind of floor they just found. And he he pulls out his phone. He'd taken a picture of it. And it was a little hard to tell at first because the floors were so old and so dusty. And of course, they'd been covered by other layers for so many years. But as he sort of zoomed in on the photo, I realized what I was looking at. I was looking at a checkerboard floor. No way. Oh my right? goodness. Yeah. <laughs> you are the house whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> I like that house whisperer. It did feel like that, Lisa Joe. It felt like as hard as it had been, okay, this is a little silly, but I had maybe listened to the house yes. and discovered, you know, the right choice. And it turned out that my new floors would essentially be a kind of restoration of the old floors. Mm. And I actually I think those checkerboard floors were the 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 bottom layer before you got to the, you know, the sublayer. So the original original floors in that space were a checkerboard. Gosh, it was so funny to realize that all if I'd had total freedom, if I could have chosen any kind of floor, I never would have landed on these checkerboard tiles that seemed to be the only thing that would fit our budget and wouldn't give us headaches and would fit the age of the house and wouldn't clash terribly with the brick walls that are in that space or um, with the wood floors in the rest of the house. All these limits, right? And <laughs> those limits had brought me to a choice that was so clearly the right one. And of course, this is not, Lisa Joe, really about decorating a house, is it? It's about home. It's about, I think, what I write about in Placemaker, which is instead of railing against the limits, instead of assuming that the limits are the things that are keeping me from making a home, that are keeping me from building a meaningful space for family and for friends, instead to receive them and say, okay, these, this is what I have to work with. And these things can be guides if I let them. 
I mean, that really isn't just about how we decorate our homes, is it? Yeah, that's so good. Yes, and I think to excel at anything, there needs to be a structure. There needs to be there needs to be rails, you know, to hold on to, to guide you like a train right. on a track, like to move forward in a certain direction requires you to actually use those limits as, I don't know, like the braille, right? Like I feel like mm. there's so little of what we can actually see ahead of us. So much of it seems to happen in the dark and it feels like mm-hmm. I'm always looking for braille, like something my fingers, my spirit, my faith can read to yeah. know I'm going in the right direction. And I think limits are one of the things God uses to help us, to guide us, to steer us from behind, from the sides, from in front. You know, that's what it's like. And I'm so grateful <laughs> that He does that. I think some of the times in my life that have felt the most upended, chaotic, and scary have been when I I could do anything, when I didn't know mm-hmm. at all what the next thing was, where nothing was telling me this is the next step on your calendar. Like when I was sometimes transitioning between jobs and it was like, there's a whole world, you could do anything. You could be a lawyer again. You could be a teacher. You could be a writer. It was so stressful, the thought that there was somehow this whole world of of options. Um, It's often how I feel actually when I go into a place like Lowe's or Home Depot, there are just way too many options. (laughs) And I've often wanted a friend who will say, actually, no, when you look at your house or your space, here are the five things that you want to focus on for that. And it's such a relief when somebody helps narrow down for you what to focus on. I will say, though, so the flip side of that, while limits can create abundance, we have to be really careful, though, not to use limits as an excuse to create scarcity. Because I think that's the flip side of that, right? So you are experiencing your kitchen and the floor as a sense of like leaning into the depth of the house and its history and its story. Now, you could tell that story like, oh, there are no other options. I had to do it in this checkerboard pattern Mm -hmm. and I had to use Mm -hmm. these materials because this is the house I'm stuck with. And it's funny because even in a big, beautiful house like Maplehurst, we can have that kind of mentality if we're not careful. And I think about the houses where I've grown up, some of them were really small, some of the ones Pete and I have lived in have been really tiny, and there was definitely a season where the size of my hospitality was limited by the size of my house. Mm -hmm. And I thought the two were connected. Like, if I have this small house, I can only have one or two people over, And I think I've shared this story before, but my husband was so interesting because we had family wanting to come and visit from South Africa, and we were so excited, and I, you know, was getting ready to email them all these local hotels that they could stay at, and then before I had a chance to reply, Peter had already replied and told them, we can't wait to have you come stay with us, and I was like, horrified. At the time, we were in this tiny, tiny rental house. Zoe's bedroom was a closet. I kid you not. There was no guest bedroom. There was only one tiny bathroom. Like, and it was like this old 70s style. Like, it was blue, like ceramic blue. And like the toilet had a wooden seat. The dishwasher always came off the rails if you pulled the rack out too fast. The backyard (laughs) was like a swamp of mosquitoes. There was no living room. There was like a postage stamp area that could fit a sofa and a chair. I mean, <laughs> I, I kept, t- I told, what do you, I couldn't even speak. I was like, what are you thinking? Like, they're a family of five. Where are we all going to sleep? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said to me, 
Why would you deprive your children of the experience of having all of this family from home stay with them? We'll make it like a slumber party. We'll give up our bedroom. The, the grownups can be in our bedroom. The couple can be in our bedroom. We'll have all the kids sleep in the living room. We'll pile all the sofa pillows on the floor. You and I will sleep in the kids' room on a blow-up mattress. And when we eat meals, we'll just wherever you can sit, you know, because we didn't even have a dining room table big enough for everybody, let alone space for it to fit in. And I remember that period of them staying with us as one of the richest fullest, most abundant experiences of home and hospitality I've ever had, ever. And and it's because that space was so tiny. We were really? we were up in each other's business. Those kids oh. were snuggled on the floor. The adults were oh. staying up late at night, you know, whispering in the dining room. Like there was a sense of intimacy in that space. And when mm. I look back at my childhood, my mom was always like that too. She she was not gifted in the culinary or the hospitality arts in terms of decor <laughs> or cooking, okay? This was not her gift. But she was very gifted at people. And there was never a Sunday where we didn't come home with random strangers from church for lunch, always. And she would have, you know, She'd pile all the food on the dining room table. I don't ever remember. It's funny that I'm thinking about this. I never remember us actually sitting down at a table. There were always too many people. We couldn't fit around a table. So the table was where she had like all the food. And then people would go through the line and help themselves. And then they'd sit, you know, in the living room or outside in South Africa. So it's beautiful weather, like wherever they could find a spot. That never seemed like something that ever was important. You know, we never had beautiful place settings. The plates were chipped. The knives and forks were mismatched. But I just remember our house being a place where it's like everybody wanted to be at our house. Everybody wanted to come because who wouldn't want to? You're surrounded by all these new friends and family and the kids are running in and out of the house. But I remember my mom, though, often uh, she had to remind us of this to teach her children. She could no longer have the kids go first through the buffet because she had a terrible Sunday where she let all the children go first and they just piled mashed potato, like just mashed potato, like high on their plates so that when the adults came through, there was none left because these kids were just sitting with these mega plates of mashed potatoes. <laughs> scarfing it all down. And my mom was so mad at us. And she was like, you will never go first again. You will always be in the back of the line. And I remember the other thing that would make her so mad is when it came to dessert, typically what she'd always do is have something hot, like some kind of pudding or a cake or something. And then she'd always want ice cream to go with it, like vanilla ice cream. And many, many Many times she would open the freezer and it would be it would be gone. Like we would yeah. have eaten it. Like we'd been eating it throughout the evenings or the weekends, and she had no idea. We would like by we, I mean I, I would stealth creep behind the sofa while my parents were watching TV and help up help myself ice cream in the kitchen in the dark and then sneak back to my bedroom. So she would often be just furious because like there's no ice cream left. But you know, that house. Even though it was, we talked about it last week, her dream house with the kitchen and the living room and the pool outside. And it was a small, it wasn't a big house, but, but the furniture, like I remember looking back, like their couch pillows that had like huge rips in them, like that just <laughs> didn't seem to bother her. It never felt like it was especially designer friendly. Like it was just, it was intended to gather people. It was a place mm. for people. And so her limits 
in terms of the space that she had or her ability to cook, somehow just highlighted the people because the focus Mm -hmm. was on them then, that it was about having as many as you could crammed into the space along with all of the kids. And everybody just felt welcome. You were you were wanted. You knew that Joe Rouse, if she invited you, just wanted you to be there. And you just come as you are. You never had to worry about would you fit in or would it would it be too fancy or would you feel out or awkward? It just never was like that. It was mm. this hodgepodge of people and foods <laughs> crammed into this tiny space. And the limits, I think, that as adults sometimes we worry about as our children receive those as their identity. They formed me. They formed me. And so now in my mm-hmm. own house, mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, you can bear witness to me. I like my house to look a certain way, but I'm not super gifted in the aesthetics of home. But I do think I'm gifted at making people feel at home in my space and bringing as many as I can and teaching our kids, this is what home is for. Home is to be shared. So yeah, those limits formed me, but in the best kind of way. Hmm. They weren't, well, were they? I, I almost started to say they weren't limiting. Right. They weren't, but they were. Somehow in limiting, we receive more. Yes. We're able to do more sometimes. It's this wild paradox, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's true of God's creation, the way he set it up. You know, we receive the richness then mm-hmm. of seasons, of different temperatures, of harvest, of sowing, like all those rhythms are because there are limits in place to the created order that are mm-hmm. designed, though, to give us abundance somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Goodness, and that's true for our houses, our homes, our planet. It's true, really, for just every aspect of our lives. It's true for our, like, our physical selves. Our, our, if our bodies are a kind of home, <laughs> you know, we have these limits. We have to lie down and sleep every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, it's really sometimes annoying, right? Like, why can't I just keep going? (laughs) But we can't. We can't. And that is a limit that I think in accepting, we find abundant life. We find rest. We find a chance to let go of control. I mean, how vulnerable are we when we lay our heads down and the world goes on without us, right? And Mm -hmm. I think God intended that every night we would put that into practice, that we would have no choice. Because you know, if we had a choice, (laughs) We'd we just would keep going. Note. Yes. Yeah, we'd just keep going. We would. But we have no choice but at some point to lie down and let it all go and go to sleep. And um, in that choice, <laughs> so much is given to us. And I think that there must be other limits like that. I know sometimes for me, illness is a limit like that. Not all the time. I mean, some illnesses are just suffering, let's be honest. But you know the kind of illness I'm talking about where it's uncomfortable enough that you have to stop, you have to rest, you have to slow down, you have to say no to the thing or whatever, and you have to spend some time in bed. And often in those times, once I finally get there, I realize, oh, I, I needed this. This is a gift. And I'm going to receive it as a gift. Um, I think that's, yeah, it's true of our bodies, it's true of our homes. I know as someone who does, gosh, I don't know if I'd say I'm... <laughs> I don't know what I would say if I'm gifted in the arts of hospitality, as you talked about your mom, but it is something I think a lot about. And I read this great book recently. I think I shared some of it with you, Lisa Joe, called The Art of Gathering. And she makes a really interesting claim in there that it's easy if we are people who want to really welcome others to um, to think that that means that every time we gather people or every time we use our home or practice hospitality, that 
everyone can come on in. We just say, hey, everyone, everyone is welcome. Everyone come on in. That that is the most hospitable. That is the most welcoming. And she says something in that book that was really counterintuitive for me. She says, actually, in order to welcome people and in order to serve them well at a gathering, you have to shut the doors at some point. You have to draw some kind of limit around the gathering. You have to decide what is the purpose of this gathering and then know, hey, these these people over here actually won't be invited. Not because they don't matter, <laughs> but because in drawing this limit, I'm better able to fulfill the purpose of the gathering and love and serve the people who will come. That always having this sort of open door, anything goes, no limits, no boundaries policy with our hospitality is not actually a good thing. That was kind of strange for me to wrap my head around. But that, yeah, it's another kind of limit. And I like that, gosh, it's always so great to unpack these conversations with you because the interesting thing, of course, right there in the original garden, the first home that was given to human beings, God sets very clear limits. He says, have everything, and then he limits their contact with this one tree. Don't eat of this tree. And there's the enemy immediately saying to her, oh, well, see, God left you out of something. He put a Mm. limit here. It's got to be bad if there's a limit. And I just know there's so many of us who hear that voice all the time. Like, oh, Mm. you're in this tiny apartment. Well, it's your fault. You were bad Mm. financially. You made bad choices. Or, you know, this is the work you're doing. Oh, you can only do this. You're not good enough to do more. Or this is what's happening with your kids or your marriage or you're still single. Like, whatever the thing is that feels like a limit, that feels like it's being imposed and stealing something from you, I think it's worth asking ourselves, is that voice (laughs) worth trusting? Is that voice worth trusting? Because I think that there's a deeper, richer voice who's saying, wait, wait, no, no, I've given all of this to you. Look at all of this abundance. I mean, God speaks to the waves, the crashing mighty waves who have the entire ocean to play in. And then he says, but now you have to stop here and no further, he tells them. But does that mean he's denying them like this richness of their existence? No, of course not. It simply means he's trying to keep something in balance. Mm -hmm. And I think about my own life that way. I think there are many times I have looked at my life and felt like this limit I'm experiencing is either a punishment or it's a result of sin or um, God doesn't love me enough or he doesn't love me as much as he loves that other person. And more and more as I get older, I tend to question that voice now because any voice that's trying to imply that where you're at is a punishment or that God is unfair or that he's selfish or that he doesn't have your best interest at heart, I just don't think that voice can be trusted. I think you're right. That's so good. I do that too, I'm realizing. I hadn't even thought of it till you brought this up, but I often hear that voice saying, oh, you made a mistake. Mm. You thought this was the right choice. You thought this was the answer to your prayer. But look, because there are these limits, because there are these challenges, you must have got it wrong. And you're right. That Why, why would that be true? That is not a trustworthy voice. Right, right. I think that we have to understand this life we live as being designed by a God who loves us much more than we will ever, ever understand here. And that he has our good at heart, and our good is deeply aligned with his good. Thank goodness. It's not attached to my compass or my understanding of good. It's attached to his. And he is the one who, in the very beginning, has set boundaries for our lives and for our days, for our time, for the planets and the universe. And so it's 
It's interesting that we can actually pull that parallel that feels so big and out there and amorphous down to your kitchen (laughs) and your kitchen floor and see the creator who's continuing to teach us and create and who's constantly inviting us to go deeper with him um, Mm. because we trust him with those guardrails or the braille or however you want to understand those limits on your life. And so, We really hope that last week you found yourself in a memory and a sense of identity about where you've come from, what your, we talked last week about our childhood homes and the streets we grew up in. And this week, our idea was really to unpack the limits we experience in our homes, in our lives, and to recognize that they are not necessarily because there's a God out to get us or because we failed somehow, but maybe there's actually some richness we're being invited into if we would choose to see and hear But we also recognize that there's a lot of pain that grows out of the homes we live in, we grew up in, the homes we're in now. And man, I'm just so grateful for a God who's actually experienced all of that. You know, he would have had a street that he grew up in, Mm -hmm. experienced limits in his home, and then he experienced brokenness, and it's why he came. And so that's the journey we're on next week to really start to talk a a little bit more and quite honestly about the brokenness that can come out of our homes. Mm -hmm. That's right. Sometimes we're not just talking about broken tiles, which really are just an inconvenience and just a limit and something that is fairly easily repaired. But sometimes there's a deeper brokenness and it'll be good to explore that next week and find some hope there as well. Next week. I'm sure we will. Yeah, next week is Ash Wednesday, which sort of, I guess not sort of, which officially starts to mark the season of Lent which is a season of entering into hurt and saying that there are places in the world that are hurting. And Jesus himself obviously understood that and walked around in our shoes through those places. And so we invite you to come with us next week and bring your stories of hurt. And we'll share some of ours because there's hope. There's hope after the hurt. So that's the journey we're on. And uh, it's always good to sit with you in these stories, Christy. I learned so much from them. (laughs) even mashed potatoes. (laughs) Mashed potatoes and broken tiles. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.